It's incredible the difference in size in antler and body as you get up north into Alaska. Yeah, everybody's heard of like a 30-inch mule deer. Well, moose is kind of the same way. It's on width. And when guys talk Alaska, you know, 60 inch is kind of that holy grail. There's a great book called Float Hunting Alaska's Rivers by a guy named Michael Strahan. He is not the linebacker, FYI. We had some snow. I had my wife helping me. We, we shot a moose. I knew we had four or five days to get it out because of the weather. I would not have done that in September. This is Jared Lyle here from The Hunt and Fool on the Wild Initiative Podcast. Put down your latte and pull on your boots. Our culture needs people that are leaders and not people that are waiting for somebody else to show them how to do it. Those fields of tofu, that was formerly habitat for wildlife. You're killing off wildlife by being a vegetarian just as much as a hunter when he kills a deer. I'm like, well, you see that bush right there? <laughs> There's your bathroom. <laughs> My dad wears a Levi jacket, he sits in front of a sagebrush, and he tells me the best camo is hold still. Not to Donnie Vincent this, but be relentless in everything you do. Don't crap out, go back to the truck with excuses or whatever. Okay, assume I get a deer. How do I cut it up to fit into a Honda Civic? Just get outside, just get outside and go, because once you do, it's all gravy from there. Hey, this is Zach Griffith. This is Hannah Barron. This is Jason Phelps of Phelps Game Calls. Hey guys, this is Cody Rich from the Rich Outdoors Podcast. What's up guys, this is Chad Mendez. You're listening to... The Wild Initiative. Hey, y'all. Welcome to another episode of The Wild Initiative, brought to you as part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. All right, y'all. So getting on to today's episode, we are back today. We're talking about big old moosies. Um, I am here with Jared Lyle and Robert Hanneman of Hunt and Fool. Yet again, today we are going to knock out. So you think you want to hunt a moose. Guys, thanks again for hopping on. Yeah, thanks for having us. Oh, yeah. Thank you. So uh, ring, ring, ring. This is Hunt and Fool. Hey man, I want to hunt a moose. Where do we go from here? <laughs> you want to start that one, Robert, or you want me oh, to? I'm sure you don't. Nope, I'll, I'll take this. Right. Um, so, just like I take all the other calls. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, 
You know, if a guy calls in and he says, hey, I want to hunt moose, my first question is to him is, uh, you know, kind of what moose are you looking to hunt? Because, you know, everyone has different expectations. And, uh, you know, let's just talk about moose in general. We got moose that live down in Utah and Colorado, and they go all the way up through Canada and the Yukon and into Alaska. Um, you know, Boone and Crockett's kind of define those into three different subspecies of moose, and they just get bigger as you go further north. So they kind of drew a, a line in the dirt at the U.S. and Canada border and said anything south of here is a Shiras. Anything north of here is a Canadian. And then when you got up to British Columbia along the Yukon line, they did the same thing. And they have the Yukon, Alaska moose, and the Canadian moose. So essentially, further you go north, the bigger the moose are. And typically, the more expensive the hunt can be um, if you're looking for a guided hunt. So, you know, most guys that want to hunt a moose don't necessarily want all three subspecies. They just want the biggest moose they, they can get. So I would say most guys are planning on going to a state like Alaska. And the cool thing about Alaska as a U.S. citizen, you can go up there and you can hunt moose without a guide. So, um, you know, everybody would think that, hey, it's got to be easy. There's moose everywhere. Everybody lives in Alaska, shoots a moose. It's not really the case. It's kind of like, you know, I would say on average, moose success is very typical to what rifle elk success would be in the West. You know, on average, you know, guys are killing a bull you know, probably 20% of the time. So you figure in Alaska, you know, guys are, you know, that are getting after it, that live there are killing a moose 20% of the time. So, you know, if you want to go guided, you can dramatically increase the odds of killing a bull. Um, if you go on yourself, uh, do it yourself hunt, you know, your odds are going to be whatever you put into it. It's kind of the cool thing. The more you put into it, the better your odds are going to be. So, but then if a guy's like, Hey, I want to kill them all because everybody wants to collect species. And I know me and Jared are the same way. That's when we got to start looking at the draw in the lower 48 and then, you know, booking a hunt in Canada and then doing something in the Alaska Yukon range. Yeah. So, um, the three species really are just more defined by geography, not necessarily any sort of biological difference for the most part. No, that's correct. I mean, you know, your moose have just evolved over time and the the bigger moose are live in the more remote hardy conditions. Um, but I mean, a moose is kind of a moose. Um, you know, like me and Jared joke, I shot a moose in Montana years ago. I shot him about three or four miles south of the Canadian line. And I'm sure at some point in my moose's life that I killed, he was a Canadian and now he's, you know, a Shiras. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, Boone and Crockett, who's been the holders of the records for pretty much as long as I think anybody's been keeping records, they had to draw a line in the sand. It's kind of like the brown bear um, and the grizzly bear in Alaska. You know, they had to make a line or anything, you know, that's this close to the ocean. It's going to be a, a brown bear because it's just essentially getting more feed and it's a bigger animal. So, you know, in reality, a moose is a moose. You know, they're all big. They're all giant. They're all tough to pack. But, uh, you know, the further you go north, the bigger they get. Yeah, both in body size and antler size. It's really interesting. You know, I, I, uh, Robert mentioned this earlier, but I, I got lucky, drew a tag this year for Shiras moose down here in the lower 48 in Idaho. And the thing that struck me when I was butchering this bull, you know, and he was a good bull. He wasn't a giant Shiras, but a good mature bull when I was butchering him. it struck me that I felt like he was literally half the size of the Alaska Yukon moose that I killed. Like it was just, you know, and he was still way bigger than an elk in, in, uh, for all intents and purposes, they're built different, but yeah, it's incredible. The difference in size and antler and body as you get up North into Alaska. Interesting. Okay. You know, and 
when we start breaking that down, the last camus, you can, there's over the counter tags. Anybody can go up there and go hunting in Canada. If you are you know, from the U S you're going to have to go with an outfitter if you're hunting in Canada. So you're going to have to book a guided hunt. So there's no draw. You just pick the outfitter you want to go with and, you know, schedule your hunt and go. When you get into the lower 48, it gets a little more complicated because just like we've talked about with sheep and goats and everything else, there's way more people that want to hunt moose than there is tags. So that's where the draw really comes into effect, you know, in the lower 48 um, for the moose. Yeah. And, you know, when it comes to, I think we're, we'll cover Canada pretty quick. I think Robert pretty much covered it. You got to book a guide and go, right? You know, get a spot. And of course, we know Canada is going to reopen eventually uh, over uh, this COVID situation. But, you know, and Robert, you're probably going to know this better than I do uh, as far as prices go. But what I do know on average is, is, you know, if you hunt over on the western side of Canada and BC, etc., you're going to pay more for a guided Canadian moose hunt there than you are if you're over in Newfoundland and some of that area. So if you're looking for, a, you know, a quote unquote discounted or cheaper moose hunt, you're going to find cheaper prices as, as a general rule over on the eastern side of the of Canada, as opposed to the the, the more wild hunts that you find over on the Western side. I totally agree. So like when I went up and, and uh, did some work up there in BC a couple of years ago, we were hunting up by the Canadian border. Um, you know, our moose hunts were going for 18 plus. I mean, but we were killing giant moose. Like I said, the further North you go, the bigger the moose get. Um, those moose, as you get closer to that Yukon line defining, um, you know, that Boone and Crockett made, you're getting, you know, bigger moose. Now those moose hunts are expensive, but you're going to kill great Canadian moose. Um, as you go over East, like you said, you get into um, higher moose populations and those are kind of more, I wouldn't say meat hunts, but they're reasonable price hunts where a guy can go and have a quality hunt and kill a nice moose. The thing, the same thing can be said on the stuff in Southern Canada, like along the Montana, Idaho border. Mm-hmm. Those look just like Shiris moose. Like we would be hunting here in the lower 48 um, because they're not giants like the stuff up in. And again, they could be, you know, great moose, but they're not those 50 to 60 inch giants that you'd kill up in Northern BC. Those hunts are a lot more reasonable priced as well. So, you know, with that being said, when we start breaking down, like, you know, everybody's heard of like a 30 inch mule deer, you know, and that's kind of the the mark. Like, oh, I want to kill a 30 inch mule deer in my life. Well, moose is kind of the same way. It's on width. And when guys talk Alaska, you know, 60 inch is kind of that holy grail. Everybody wants to kill a 60 inch moose. When you drop down into Canada, that your 50 inch is kind of your holy grail. And when you get down into the lower 48, you know, anything over 40 inches is what we really consider a trophy bowl. So, you know, to kind of give your listeners an idea for like horn width, anything in the lower 48, it's 40 inches wide is typically a trophy bowl. You know, when you get into Canada, if you can break 50, that's awesome. Anything in Alaska, you know, 60 is great, 70 is phenomenal. But just to kind of give you an idea, not only in body size, like Jared said, but in horn size and width. Further north you go, better bulls you're going to have. Yep, yep. So back down to the lower 48 and the draw system there, I think, you know, Robert and I both joked to the intro or before the intro here that the reality is the lower 48 conversation can get over pretty quick. Honestly, the best draw odds by a landslide for trying to draw a Shiras moose tag is going to be in Idaho and it's expensive. They're going to, you know, Idaho charges you up front for the tag fee, whether you draw it or not. And then they refund you if you do not draw. Uh, They also charge a big convenience fee for, 
for processing your credit card. And they also hit you for almost $300 now in non-refundable hunting license fees. Uh, so it's expensive to apply, but the draw odds are exponentially better than anywhere else in the lower 48, um, particularly for a lot of the hunts that are further north up in the panhandle of Idaho. But there's some other areas in Idaho, too, that you know are kind of sleepers that have decent draw odds. I would say all in all, on average, you know, you take out, you know, a couple of the top units like 54 and things like that, that are 1% odds. Um, you know, if you average in everything, you're probably looking at realistically eight to 10% draw odds, you know, average across the state for Idaho and there's no point system. So a guy starting today, it has the exact same opportunity as someone, you know, that's been applying for 20 years. So Idaho is like the really the only state we really, really recommend guys at the hunt fold to apply for moose, you know, especially if they really want to, you know, to put a check mark in that Shiris box. Um, you know, there is five other states that do offer Shiris moose tags, um, Wyoming, Washington, Utah, Montana, and Colorado. All of those would kind of fall into that same as the uh, sheep. I mean, in reality, for those states we just talked about, you're under 1% odds. If you're just starting out today, you have no bonus points, you're under 1% odds. Now, if you're already applying for Utah and you want to throw another 10 bucks at it, that's awesome. But, you know, the rest of those states, you're going to have to be into it, you know, roughly 100 bucks. And Colorado is going to take your money for three years before they put your name in the hat. So, um, you know, Wyoming used to be like when people think of Shiris Moose, another name for them is Wyoming Moose. And yep. Wyoming was kind of the holy grail of killing big Shiris Moose. And uh, I'm one of those guides, guys that has almost two decades of points in Wyoming. And I plan on hunting that at some point because I'm young enough. I should, you know, live long enough to draw a tag. Um, but when I started applying, you know, 20 years ago, there was 75% more moose in the population in Wyoming than there is today. Um, unfortunately, in the 90s, the wolves came in um, and they they just wreak havoc on moose. You know, moose will kind of stand their ground. They get in that deep snow and the wolves just, they're hard on them. So, you know, unfortunately, you know, Colorado is different. Their moose are thriving. There's no wolves there. But states yeah. like Idaho, Montana, you know, and Wyoming, They've they've played ha- they've played heck. The wolves have really hurt our populations. You know, I know me and Jared both spent a lot of time living in Montana. Jared, how many more moose did you see twenty years ago than you do now? Oh, 10, 20 times. That's not an exaggeration. Yeah, um, they've they've definitely been hit the hardest. Again, they just don't cope well with that predation, that style of predation. So, um, you know, and a lot of it too is moose in Alaska and not to get off on a, on a tangent here, but, you know, moose in Alaska and, and larger, um, ranges, they have big riparian areas and stuff that they can get in the water and have escapement, you know, and then the lower 48, we've fenced off all the riparian areas. You know, those are all privately owned. There's not a river bottom in, in the lower 48 that's not in wilderness that isn't privately owned and proudly fenced. And so the, the moose just don't have the kind of escapement that they used to have in terms of how they manage dealing with that type of a predator. And, and that's where they would live, right? They'd live down there in that, on that willow browse and that kind of stuff. So it was fairly natural for them to kind of pop into the deep water and wait out the wolves or whatever, but that, those days are gone. So um, it's kind of a sad story. No. Nope. So if you want a Shiris moose 
and you don't have a big checkbook because there are states that have governor's tags. Utah has some landowner tags, you know, just apply in Idaho. And if you apply for moose, you can't apply for sheep or goat or deer, elk or antelope, you know, just apply there and, uh, you know, hope to draw your Shire's tag and, and check that box. But the rest of the states, um, unless you're already applying there or just want to, you know, spend an extra couple hundred bucks for 1% odds, you may be better off spending your money in a raffle. Yep. No, and when it comes to Idaho in particular, you know, you, you there's a risk tolerance there, right? There's, you know, harvest success on these sort of once in a lifetime species. In Idaho, you can harvest one bull and one one antlered and one antlerless uh, moose in your lifetime. But when it comes to those, the harvest success is usually managed to be pretty high. But there are a lot of units in Idaho that consistently do not have good harvest stats. You know, they're closer to 30 to 50, 60%. Those units are going to provide your better draws. And if you have the kind of time and energy to put into it, um, you know, there's still plenty of moose. It's a very conservatively managed species. So, you know, and, and I'll use my unit this year. I drew a unit down in, in Southern Idaho that's not very uh, well known for trophy quality or for harvest success. You know, it's, it's had pretty poor harvest success over the last few years. I knew the draw odds would be better. I wanted a moose tag and I have the luxury of being able to spend quite a bit of time hunting. And believe me, I burned up a lot of fuel and tire leather and boot leather um, living in the woods with, with the moose. And even though it was a, a quote unquote poor unit, when you look at it compared to other units in Idaho, statistically, I saw a ton of bulls, you know, between trail camera and glassing and, and just face-to-face encounters, call-ins, et cetera, you know, well over 20 different bulls um, during that time frame, and ended up killing a, a nice bull with my bow, you know, late in the season. That's the other thing. Idaho, you know, has uh, one thing to keep in mind when you're applying in Idaho, look at the season dates. Cause the first, when you get up North, a lot of those have shorter seasons. Um, on average, the, the main moose hunts start like August 30 and go clear through like November 23rd. So, I mean, you've got a long time to get it done. Pick a unit that's got better draw odds and lower harvest success and go spend some serious time in it and you, you can dig one up. You know, and that's, that's, those long seasons are amazing. You know, I drew my Montana moose tag years ago and, uh, you know, I'd seen a lot of mooses. I've been out elk hunting, things like that and thought, oh, you know, this hunt's not going to be too bad, maybe a week or so. 24 days later, you know, <laughs> I, I killed a giant, but I mean, I was looking for a special bull and I found him, but I started in September and I didn't kill him until late November, you know, and the moose rut is typically, you know, the very end of September, the first part of October, those bulls are really traveling, you know, they're fun to call. They're very aggressive. Um, they don't like to hang up as much as elk do. So, you know, it's one that you can get close and personal with them. Um, but you know, when you think about it, you know, there's not a lot of moose compared to elk and deer and everything else. And when you go out and you see moose as you're hunting other things, it's cool. But when you try to focus on moose, <laughs> you're going to be covering a lot of country. And uh, like I said, they're kind of a more elusive animal than, than I gave them credit for until I actually had a tag. Same. Yep. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So 
you know, this, I mean, I think it really, again, and we talked about this in the last episode, it all comes down to building across the board, your hunt plan. Cause you did, you mentioned Idaho and uh, you know, Idaho has different options where you can apply for sheep or you can apply for moose. You can't be applying for both in the same year. So if, you know, if you do want to hunt moose, you'll probably have to then change your hunt plan for sheep if that was part of it. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's all part of, I mean, there's a, a lot of interwoven complexities if you're, I mean, if you're kind of like us and you just want to hunt everything everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, that's, again, that's one of the benefits of a service like Hunt and Fool where you guys can sit and help people navigate all of that and really figure out those complexities and how that's going to balance in the long term versus the short term, you know, because yeah, and you're, you're forking out a lot of non-refundable license fees and things like that for Idaho. But maybe if over the, you know, uh, tags in Idaho for elk or your plan for hunting elk every year while you're building points in other States, then again, you're, you're using your money wisely and, uh, you're, you're balancing that out a little bit better. So. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point. And not, again, I sound like I'm always pimping our services, but like, I know that you're offering that TWI 60 free, you know, 60 day trial of hunting pools, digital tools. One of the best ways to figure out your Shira Smooth strategy is to jump into our draw odds calculator. And you know, it will be very clear why we recommend Idaho as your number one source. You can actually sort by draw odds percentage in ascending or descending order. And again, you can pick a unit that's got, you know, 30% draw odds potentially in it, but the harvest success is going to be low in those cases. Right. But man, you're talking one in three draw odds uh, last year in in uh at least one unit oh you know another cool thing is we kind of harp on the west and the shiris boost and the draw odds or not the draw odds but well the draws are all under one percent minus idaho and every one of those states is gonna you know cost you a pretty penny to apply you know years ago when i came to work for huntful they didn't cover eastern canadian uh moose areas and uh you know that was something that i always applied for i applied for maine i applied for vermont and i applied for new hampshire and uh you know we started covering those as well and you know these are canadian moose that live over there you wouldn't need to hire an outfitter like we talked about in canada you have to go to canada hire an outfitter go on a moose hunt these hunts you can do on your own. So if you're looking to try to kill all three moose, maybe you don't want to spend the money to go to Canada or, you know, you'd rather just hunt, you know, moose in, in the U S those are other States to apply for. Um, the draw odds are still very similar to most other States minus Idaho, probably typically looking, you know, under 1% if you're just starting out, but they're really inexpensive to apply. You know, Maine is $15 to apply, um, but Maine's a little different. You can buy essentially more chances. 10 pack of chances usually run to you around $50, $55. Um, Vermont is $25. You can apply for the archery hunt and the rifle hunt. So you throw them 50 bucks and New Hampshire is another 25 bucks. So those are three states that we cover in the hunt in full in depth. And like I said, for under a hundred bucks, you can add three different states uh, for applying for moose, which are typically those moose are going to be bigger than your Shire's moose for the most part. And you can add all those three states for almost less than you can add any other state in the West. So it's, it's another thing, you know, we've got a lot of guys that love to play the game, put in for states. So we've added these states and, you know, do research on them and help guys apply. The other cool thing is if you do draw one of these tags, the outfitters in the East 
are very um, affordable. I mean, most moose hunts are going to run you up three to six thousand dollars, or you really can't touch much in Canada for under six grand. So, and then you know, if you got a bunch of listeners living on the East Coast, you know, they should be looking at those states and at least throwing a little money at them, and maybe they don't have to travel all the way to the West to kill moose. Yeah, great point. So, say I, uh, I'll give I'll give you two scenarios. Say, you know, I'm in my 30s, brand new to this. What am I looking at? If I want to kill all three species, what am I looking at kind of price range if I want to reasonably kill kill one of each in my lifetime? And then what am I looking at maybe price range if I'm just like, hey, I just want to shoot a moose. Like I'd, li- I'd like it to be like a respectable moose, but it doesn't have to be a giant. I don't care what species it is. doesn't have to be a giant, but I want to do it in the in without waiting 20 years. <laughs> What, uh, you know, with those two scenarios, what am I looking at kind of price range? So we'll start with Alaska. You want to go full tilt guided, you're going to be looking, you know, 14, 15 and up. You know, there's some outfitters killing giants that are, you know, well into the twenties. Um, that's a full guided turnkey. You're going to have a, uh, a great opportunity to kill a real big bull. Um, if you want to go to Alaska and do it on your own, and maybe you're driving up from the West, you're going to, you know, rent a raft, you know, your fuel, your tags, everything into it. You might be able to pull a hunt off, do it yourself for, you know, maybe three grand. Um, especially if you can get a, a flight, to, maybe you, you find a river to float into and you have to fly out or find a river that floats all the way through or fly in and float back out to your truck. You know, a guy could do a hunt for $3,000, get a buddy involved and, you know, you guys can have a pretty good do it yourself two week experience. And then there's kind of the next step up is guys doing like hunt planners and packages, you know, we're there, you know, kind of, it'd be almost like a, you know, here in the West, sometimes you get uh, outfitters that aren't hunting a unit this year and they might sell a hunt planning kit for a certain unit and you get their trail cameras, their pictures, all that information, and you get to do it for a reduced price and a fully guided hunt. You know, those guys up there are usually charging, I would say in the total hunt with airfare, you know, flying in and out five to eight. And those guys are usually having 50% plus success. So, you know, bare bones, you're going to do it yourself, probably looking around three grand, you know, some kind of hunt planning kit, double that, maybe a little more fully guided, double that, you know, for going into Canada, um, what's some of the lower price stuff Isaiah's got available, Jared, kind of like North of Montana, do you know off the top of your head, some of those prices? I don't, I want to say like 65 to 7,500, but I, I might be too low on that. Yeah, I was thinking maybe like in the 8,500 range, um, you know, and then as you go further over into Eastern Canada, you know, there as well, I think you're going to be kind of in that same ballpark. Um, in the lower 48 for Shiras, those can kind of be the most expensive because you're going to have to buy a landowner tag um, if, if for somewhere like Utah. And that tag's going to cost you, man, it could be anywhere for 10,000 plus, you know, for a good tag, plus the guiding and outfitting on top of that. I mean, you can get into it for probably the same price as you would one of the top end outfitters, you know, in Alaska. Um, so, you know, your Chiris, because again, it's supply and demand. There's not as much Chiris available as there is Canadians and uh, Alaska Yukon. So as you go South, you're going to kind of get into that trying to draw a tag or have to buy a tag, which is going to be more expensive. Right. Yeah. And one of the, one of the things that Robert touched on in Alaska that I think is important to 
to hit on. And I think it's true for all of these, you know, prices are going up. And again, it's not a scare tactic to try to get you to burn all your, your family vacation fund. But the reality is they are going up even like transported hunts, like Robert was talking about with these kind of like help, help you out, drop you in some logistics packages, et cetera. You know, I've seen those things go up from, you know, I was seeing them at 3,500 bucks not long ago. And we actually saw one roll out for like 11.5 this year. And that's just basically all your support, the things that you need, you know, your, your camp, you know, they're going to take you to a decent location, et cetera. So, you know, if you think Alaska moose, it's probably a good time to try to do it sooner rather than later. Um, and, and when it comes to the styles, the DIY versus transporter versus a fully guided, it is important to note that transporters can't technically provide you any advice, right? So they, they can't guide you because they're, they're not permitted to do that. They're just basically a logistics support agency. It doesn't mean that they don't know what's going on. And they do believe me, this is how they're making a living and they're putting you in good spots. But if you're counting on booking a transported hunt and then picking the guy's brain and having him dump you on top of a moose, that's just not going to be the case. And there's a difference between the transporter, like Jared's talking about, that's just your pilot or your guide running you up a river. Then the guy that's, you know, typically selling you like a hunt planning kit, that guy is not going to be your transporter and they can supply you with that kind of information. Uh, right. But the guy that is taking you up, you know, that, that is something that he can't do um, up there for that. One other thing is if you, you know, are ever going to hunt, you know, a sheep or, you know, a caribou or anything, and you're going on a guided hunt somewhere, a lot of times these other species can be added on for just a trophy fee and you might get a screaming deal if you have booked a doll sheep hunt or a caribou hunt and you stumbled upon a big moose or vice versa. If you're up there and you can take a few animals, you can kind of, you know, make that money go a little bit longer than if you booked a moose hunt, then you booked a sheep hunt, then you booked a caribou hunt, then you booked a grizzly hunt. And, oh. You know, if you can shoot multiple things while you're there, um, you know, I, I know here at the hunt full, every one of us is like, what all tags can we have? Like, I'll buy them all because if the opportunity gets there, you know, we'll try to make it happen because on a trophy fee, things are, you know, way more reasonable because your expense has already been paid for everything else. That's just bonus for the outfitter, except for the packing of the moose (laughs) or whatever it is. And for yourself. I mean, I think in general, any, any travel hunt, any hunt that's got serious logistics to it uh, beyond just your tag fees, you know, it's one thing you're driving a state or two over. Yeah. There's logistics, but it's not, not as extreme as uh, with other hunts, um, but any hunt that has such extreme logistics like that, it only makes sense to fork out a little bit of extra dough if this is something you want to do, to fork out that little bit of extra dough and try and combine as much as possible. Like you said, you know, if you're going to Alaska, you want to do a caribou hunt, you want to go after a moose, it only makes sense to do your best to book them all together if you have that option. Yeah, or at least know that you can add them for a trophy fee. Like Robert said, it's nice to clarify that in advance so that you're not there when the pressure's on and deciding whether you want to spend $7,000 to smash that grizzly bear. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> negotiating on the mountain, you kind of kind of get your get your poop in a group before you go up, figure out your plan, figure out what you're willing to what your risk tolerance is, your financial tolerance. Um I think, you know, that covers the the U.S. and Canada pretty darn well, I think, overall. One thing I will say about coming back to Alaska, um, two things, actually. The first one is, and I don't know if you want to link to it in your, in your uh, notes or not, but there's a great book called Float Hunting Alaska's Rivers by a guy named Michael Strahan. 
He is not the linebacker, FYI, uh, but it is spelled the same. It's S-T-R-A-H-A-N. And it's a huge book. It's like a Bible. And he breaks down tons of rivers that he's done all these trips on. And he is one of those logistics providers that Robert references to, uh, that he you can hire him as a consultant. Um, I've had nothing but good positive feedback around him from uh, personal friends and other associates who have experience with him. So it's a good place to start. The other thing I was going to say, there is a draw for moose in Alaska. And typically speaking, when we think of a draw, we think, okay, that's got to be better trophy potential or whatever else, right? We associate a better hunt with a tag system that requires me to draw it. In Alaska, nothing could be further from the truth on the moose hunts in particular. We typically encourage most of our clients not to apply in the draw because the what Alaska is doing, those draw units are typically around the bigger population centers like Wasilla and Anchorage and Fairbanks, et cetera. And what they're doing is they're restricting the number of non-residents who can basically, you know, steal the Alaskans food. So realistically, the trophy potential is usually smaller because they're areas that you can drive moose buggies, like there's no off-road restrictions here, um, et cetera. And so that there's actually smaller moose as a general rule, smaller population because they're hunted pretty hard by the locals and in general it's just not a great idea to apply through the draw necessarily having said that i i've drawn two of those tags and went on two hunts in 2012 and 13 back to back i drew some hunts there and went with a buddy of mine who is an alaska resident and so i want to speak briefly about the logistics of doing a diy alaska yukon hunt um you know, and this is in this is a terrestrial hunt. This is on ATVs or moose buggies or whatever else you want to call it. Um, we went in 52 miles on ATVs the second time. Took in, I think, 40 gallons of fuel with us. Had, I think we fixed four flat tires, rebuilt one carburetor, got towed across two rivers, flipped over two four-wheelers that were flipped, lost our trailer. I don't know how many times. Like it is as wild as you can get. It took us two days to get 50 miles on ATVs. Um the point is, is even those require a tremendous amount of logistics support. They have specialized trailers that they build for these ATVs, but there's a lot of road system. There's almost no road restrictions in like unit 13 and that stuff in the center, central part of Alaska. It could be a super wild fun hunt too. And, and there's plenty of moose. If you're in there long enough, you're going to have a good opportunity. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Well, is there any uh, anything else we need to cover on Moose for somebody that wants to... Uh wants to get a large chunk of meat for, I mean, I, I'm blown away. Like I've seen people's freezers after they come home with a moose and like, I thought, I thought elk was a lot of meat, but damn. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I would say a couple things. Don't shoot a moose in the water. (laughs) I mean, it's the most horrible thing in the world. If it's standing on the riverbank put it through the shoulder and keep shooting it. And hopefully it doesn't go in the water. Cause if it does, it's not going to be a fun experience. Same thing with a bog, you know, like if it's standing there, keep shooting, put it down. Um, the other thing is moose are giant. 
um, be aware of how far you are from a your camp, where you can get a vehicle to your airstrip or the body of water you're on. Because if you're too far away, you're going to spoil that. And Alaska is, um, you know, they're more aware of, um, you know, meat wasting yep. policies than anyone else. Like you're a lot of areas got to leave, you know, you can't debone it. You got to bring the ribs out, you know? So, I mean, it's not worth spoiling a moose, you know, hunt in the area that you can get a moose out. And the same thing in the lower 48, you know, when I killed my moose, um, I was three and a half miles from a road. It was middle of November. We had some snow. <laughs> I had my wife helping me. We, we shot a moose. I knew we had four or five days to get it out because of the weather. I would not have done that in September. Yep. Uh, moose are giant animals and uh, it is a lot of meat to take care of. And even if you kill a big bull and it's cool and you hang it down, you can still get bone sour on a big rear quarter of a moose. You almost got to split that down the bone to open that up to get it to cool down. Even on cool nights, there's just a lot of meat there and it'll hold heat. That's crazy. So on, on average, like how much meat are you like the weight are you carrying out? after you've quartered that thing well my my alaska yukon moose with the head and cape and everything right um and the lower jaw was still in it but hanging quarters cape head was just over 700 pounds so basically i carried as much out as a mature bull elk weighs running around on the hoof right and then i just killed a shiris moose so i know the number on this too i had 320 pounds of of meat this was excluding horns and cape. It was 320 pounds of hanging meat with the bone in, in the quarters. <laughs> Holy hell. Holy hell. I'm just thinking about that on my back in a long, long day, but. <laughs> <laughs> All righty guys. Well, I uh, want to make sure everyone heads on over to the hunt uh, I want them to check out the uh, cost calculator resource. Also, make sure y'all are checking out the draw deadlines. We'll link to those on the show notes page. And just as a reminder, use code TWI60. Get 60 free days to use and abuse the Hunt and Fool service uh, to get all your draws in there. And honestly, see the value that they offer for planning out uh, your hunt plan for the next, I don't know, if you're like us, 20, 30 years, hopefully more. One of my favorite stories is uh, from Jim Shockey about his uh, his father on the way to the hospital uh, telling him to stop so he can pick up his whitetail tag. But um, <laughs> on that note, guys, thanks again so much for uh, for hopping on. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, bud. All right, y'all, that'll do it for this episode of The Wild Initiative. Make sure to check out the show notes page at thewildinitiative.com. Get links to everything we talked about in today's episode. Y'all, I want to say a big thank you to both Jared and Robert for hopping on the podcast and sharing all of this super valuable information with y'all. Hope y'all were taking notes. Make sure, again, I can't harp on this enough. There's no reason for you not to head on over to huntandfool.com, the Hunt and Fool website. Sign up for a digital membership using that TWI60 code. Gets you 60 free days, y'all. This will get you through all your application planning, all of that stuff. See what is so valuable about the service. And again, check out those free tools on the, uh, on the website. Uh, make sure you check out that list of draw dates and check out that hunt cost calculator to see what you're going to be paying out of pocket. 
All right, y'all, that'll do it for this week. Looking forward to next time. But until then, I hope this podcast inspired you to get involved, get outdoors, and plan your initiative for the wild. Thank you for listening to The Wild Initiative. Please take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher and head on over to thewildinitiative.com to get show notes, check out the blog, gear discounts, other podcasts from The Wild Initiative family, and more. 